Nothing But Net NBA podcast. Featuring Jamie, Mike, and Steve. We are live here back with another episode on the Nothing But Net podcast. It has been about a month since the last time that we were able to meet. We did try to record once or twice in between. Um, we've had some platform issues, some timing issues, and obviously I was back in New York for the last uh, couple of weeks. So I'm glad to be back here. Hopefully we have everything figured out. We've done some tests. We think we're good. Um, but it has been a minute. We have a lot to cover here in the NBA, obviously. So we will try to touch on as much as we can, trying to catch us back up as we kind of swing into the trade deadline. All-Star game, obviously a very fun time in the NBA. Jamie, how you doing, my guy? I'm good, man. Um, good to be back with the fellas. Uh, hope everyone had a good holiday, all that good stuff. Um, yeah, a lot to get into. Um, obviously, about a month, a month off. So a lot of basketball, a lot of um, you know, a couple trades here and there, um, a lot of big performances. Ready to get into it. Mike, how you doing, my guy? Yeah, I'm good. It's good to be back on the mic with you guys. Um, like Jamie said, hope everybody had a good holiday season. Uh, in our uh, hiatus here with the platform issues, there's a lot of good basketball, NBA stuff to talk about, so I'm looking forward to doing that now. The last time we left off, we recorded an episode on the in-season tournament, the finale, kind of how it played out. Um, it turned out that the Lakers had won the championship, a big moment for the Lakers. They raised a banner, they popped some champagne, which obviously created some controversy. But with that being said, since Jamie, 3-10 and 10 for the Los Angeles Lakers. Now we have these Darwin Ham rumblings that players are unhappy with him at the helm. Obviously, when we're talking about a LeBron James-led team, we've had these issues in the past. A lot of people feel like that this is coming from LeBron in his camp, that they're unhappy with how his rotations are. I got to start here with you. How are you feeling about the Lakers right now? Can they turn this thing around? And should Darvin Hel- or Darvin Ham be the guy that's held accountable for the way this thing is going? Uh, yeah, you said it three and ten since they they hung that banner. Um, you know things aren't things aren't great, and that's I mean that's evident um, in the in the record. Uh, if if I would have told you AD would only miss a, less than a handful of games, and LeBron would miss less than a handful of games and they would be, you know, out of playoff contention. Um, you would think I was crazy. And, uh, you know, the rotation thing, I understand, um, you know, the, how the Lakers feel as far as not, you know, they're not performing well. So they're going to, you know, they get questions every day as the Lakers, uh, to blame it on Darvin hand. I mean, yeah, he, he can take, he can shoulder a lot of that blame for sure, but um, when you can't figure out a rotation that is winning, I mean, I don't know what you want the guy to do uh, other than just you know ride the wave. And you got to play, you got to switch it up. You got to try to find the right matchups here and there. And nobody seems to be playing well other than LeBron and AD. Um, I Reeves, he has he has moments here and there. Um, offensively, defensively, he's still quite quite a liability um but to blame it on darvin ham um solely is just wrong in my opinion now do i think he's the greatest coach in the world no um 
but with the talent they have on that roster, you shouldn't need the greatest coach in the world um, to to win some damn games. So, uh, right, it's not looking good for the Lakers right now. Um, they just got to go on a little run here, and um, luckily there's a few months left, and they got time. Yeah, a big thing that I want to touch on, obviously I do think Darvin Ham deserves a lot of heat in a sense. I mean, when you're talking about Anthony Davis, who's only missed two or three games this year, LeBron's kind of in the same boat. Those guys staying healthy is a big part of what this team should be having success with. Obviously, right now they're sitting in the 11th spot. They're not even in the play-in. Um, everything's crumbling. I think a big guy that uh, we need to talk about that a lot of people were kind of talking about going into the offseason that was, had a nice postseason last year is Jared Vanderbilt. And, like, where did he go? And obviously injuries have kind of dictated things, but two and a half points in 15 games. Um at times not even finding minutes to crack this rotation. And I think that was a guy like that we all thought could really come in and take a step, a guy who could be um, a pretty good piece for them in a trade package as they extended him this offseason. And his just disappearance, in a sense, obviously, again, due to injuries, Gabe Vincent's been hurt. And, you know, but we didn't see anything from Gabe Vincent when he was in. And we haven't saw anything from Vando. And I think that's a huge... Uh, reason to where I, why this thing is going down because how Bando was so good last year in the playoffs that it really helped them on the defensive end. He was able to be good enough on the offensive end and getting nothing from him this year, I think, is a huge letdown for the Lakers. Mike, what are your thoughts here on the Lakers? Should Darvin Ham be held accountable for this uh, situation? I think as kind of leader of the helm as a head coach, he does need to hold some accountability, but at the end of the day, uh, He's not the one out there. He can't go out there and make the shots for these guys, and and um, he's not the one playing. Now, could the rotations and certain playing time and minutes be altered or adjusted on his end? Sure, but um, you know, ultimately, I think that it does maybe come down to his decision uh, on some of those things. But he also has a, a a bench full of a coaching staff of that should be I don't know helping or giving their input here and there, and so. Um, I think there is definitely some responsibility on his end. I don't think he should own the sole, uh, you know, the sole blame here um, himself. Uh, guys need to step up and play well. I mean, I know we've mentioned several guys who, uh, you know, they're probably not getting as much production or efficiency from uh, as they would like. Um, I think a lot of, I think D'Lo gets a lot of rap for that and probably rightfully so. I I think he's kind of underperformed. Austin Reeves has definitely improved since the beginning of the year, but I think maybe his consistency can improve still. Um, but then there's just other pieces. I think they've had guys that have been in and out of the lineup with injury here and there. Um, you know, you can't. It's can LeBron and AD go out and win you games? Um, you know, when they're on and being the dominant players, we know they can be and proven they can be, of course. But if you're you know, if you're looking to string together several wins, a win streak, um, talk about getting into the playoffs or winning playoff series, um, you know, forget even the finals. I know that those are the aspirations always, but you, I mean, it takes a team, collective team effort. And right now they do not have that going for them. Um, sounds like there's some issues in the locker room. Again, I uh, maybe issues isn't the right word, but some animosity or, um, losing faith, whatever you, you may want to call it. And I think that, again, starts with Darvin Ham maybe not having the full support of his guys. That's a two-way street, but, you know, there is only one head coach. So, I, like I, I said at the start of this, I, I think he does deserve some 
accountability as to kind of the you know the decline or the slump that they're in right now but certainly not 100 percent of the blame i'll start here with you mike if the lakers do decide to let darvin ham um go who do you see as a potential candidate as a head coach that really comes in and makes you feel comfortable that they could fix this? I mean, obviously, I think the name that is going to keep coming to mind for a lot of people is Doc Rivers. And do you think maybe he's the guy or do you have any other names that could potentially be a guy that could come in and really rejuvenate this Los Angeles Lakers basketball team? You know, of course, that would be probably the first name I I guess I think of, but that's easy because we see him pretty constantly on tv and hear his voice commentating a lot of nba games but i don't know um i think actually the fit with him and lebron would would be pretty good personally um because i think doc rivers doesn't have to do a ton of coaching when it comes to lebron but doc rivers has, has proven to win but maybe just not win when it counts in the playoffs so you can probably lean on lebron a little bit more for that um, as far as that, I don't know. I, I feel like the Lakers have in the last couple of years maybe gone to some of uh, the head coaching names that may not be the big, big names that you'd see, such as a Doc Rivers. Um, you know, they've kind of gone to names that either we we really haven't heard of before or candidates that we uh, didn't quite expect. So over the last couple seasons of the NBA, when we've had new coaches, I feel like it's been a mixed bag of guys we expect to get jobs, such as like Nick Nurse and then uh, Griffin for the the Bucks, where kind of like came out of nowhere type of deal. So I don't really know. I'm I'm not really sure a lot of the names that could be potentially on the market of who would want to step into that role immediately, especially mid season. Doc Rivers does probably seem like an easy fit, but. I don't know. I think some people or some teams may have their hesitations. Jamie, what if I asked you about maybe a Mike D'Antoni or Mike Budenholzer? Does that get you over the hump and make you feel better about where this basketball team could go over Darvin Ham? Yeah, I was thinking Budenholzer. Um, uh, Mike Mike D'Antoni didn't really even come come to mind. That's another um, you know obviously great basketball mind, um, offensive genius. Um, but I would think uh, Budenholzer would probably be a be a better fit. He's just more experienced, uh, knows how to deal with stars, um, dealing with Giannis for years. Uh, but I mean, when it's all said and done, the players got to play, man. And uh, I don't know if just switching the coach is gonna. I mean, maybe it'll revitalize the guys a little bit. I don't know. Um, but right now, they don't have anybody besides LeBron that can handle the ball and to distribute. And uh, in the past, it was great. But you you don't want to have that usage rate on LeBron every single game. Um, and we uh, two nights ago, or uh, Wednesday night when they played the Heat, that was they had about fifteen turnovers in the first half. LeBron uh, played more passive, and they looked terrible. Um, so I I don't think that you know just switching coaches is going to you know change change life. Um, but I mean. I, at some point, um, LeBron's going to start talking, and when LeBron talks, uh, the league listens. So we shall see. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the Lakers were kind of in the same boat last year, right? They started off slow early in the year. We were kind of wondering where this thing was going to go. Um, and then around the All-Star break, they make this huge push to somehow get into the playoffs as a seven seed. Uh, obviously, we know the story from there. They go to the Western Conference Finals. They got really hot. 
Swisher dish, Jamie, that happens again for the second straight year, and this Lakers team finds themselves in the Western Conference Finals um, this postseason. <laughs> I'm going to dish it. Uh, I just I don't feel good about it. Um, AD's bound to get have an injury. Um, LeBron, in his old age, is bound to have an injury or tweak of some sort. Uh, unless they make some moves, which I, they don't really have a lot of draft capital to even make moves. Um, the guys that they have uh, that are tradable really are hurt. So it's not looking good for the boys. Yeah. And the name that really comes to mind is Deontay Murray. I mean, I think those are the rumors that we see the most. Obviously, mm-hmm. the Lakers are going to be tied in on every star that comes available. Um, and unfortunately, I think that's like a huge part of it. Is like I just don't under I just don't see where they have the assets to do this. Um, if we're talking about like D'Lo or Austin Reeves, like that's cool. But what's really their trade value? when we're talking about a team who just gave up three firsts for Deontay Murray. How do the Hawks feel about those guys? I'm not sure either one of those guys can play with Trey Young. Um, so I, I agree. I just, I don't see what the move is for the Los Angeles Lakers. Now we'll see about the Zach Levine stuff is do teams really feel that Levine is a negative? If he is, maybe the Lakers can take a swing on there. The offense has been really bad for the Lakers. He's a guy who can come in and provide a bunch of offense for teams. Um, we obviously know that he's not a winning kind of player, but can he be a winning player if he has LeBron and AD and he can provide that offensive spark? I'll ask you, Mike. Swisher Dish, do you think this Lakers team can do what they did last year and make it to the Western Conference Finals? Uh, it, it really wouldn't surprise me. Um, I think it's a little bit... Man, I was going to say a little bit less likely, but I don't know. The West, I know we have teams like the Thunder and the Wolves that are at the top that have been kind of cruising, but Playoff time is just different, man. It depends how – I don't know how confident you know you can be in some of these very young teams that haven't had a lot of time in playoffs versus these vets that probably can figure it out. And I don't know. Um, do I see it happening? I'd say unlikely, but, uh, you know, I, I would be it would, I would say possible. I wouldn't be very, very surprised if it happened. But it, right now it just seems to be very – I don't know. Uh, in shambles isn't is probably too, um, you know, too aggressive of a term for it. But I, I, some pieces need to happen, uh, or some pieces need to come together. Some moves maybe need to be made for for me to really strongly believe it. Yeah, I think I think it's very tough to buy into it. But I'm kind of with you, Mike. I'm like hesitant, just the dish. I I do think. Um, that the Lakers got like really good matchups last year and things played out into their favorites where they're again, if they're the seventh seed this year and they pull an inexperienced Oklahoma city thunder team, who is very good. And I think that would be a great series, but I think the way we thought about Memphis last year could be in a sense of the way we think about Oklahoma city this year, just a little young, little inexperienced. The Grizzlies had a little more experience. And if we're talking about LeBron and AD in a playoff series where they get enough help, I think you could see the path forward for them if they get the right matchups. I just think this team, it's weird. Cause I think before the year, we thought this team was much better than it was last year. We thought the moves that they had made and the upgrades that they have made felt right. And it felt like this thing could really go. Um, but now we're getting to the point where it's getting stale and, I mean, we saw the Lakers bought into the max in the in-season tournament, and we saw how good they were. Did they play the best teams? 
Not necessarily, but at the end of the day, they still played the teams. They still played the games. They were dominant, and you know they dominated their way to this in-season tournament when they were locked in. It feels like since then, they've kind of just pulled the cord and disconnected a little bit, and that's obviously led to this downfall. But when this team plugs it back in and they refocus and they lock back in, um, it's hard for me to say, like, it it just won't happen. I think it could all playoffs are all matchup dependent. They get the right matchups. They get inexperienced teams in front of them. I think they can take advantage and go on quite a little run here. Jamie, you have any final points? Yeah, I was just, um, I know me and Mike have talked about the Zach Levine trade um, quite a bit, and I've always been down on it saying, you know, I don't want, I don't want a guy who hasn't won, who didn't win like five games straight in his first six seasons or something crazy like that. But the more and more the Lakers keep going downhill, um, it's starting to become uh, not only a possibility, almost a necessity for just scoring because they, they're not good at all. Uh, on the offensive end. And, I mean, we've talked about it. This is when Anthony Davis is playing one of his best uh, – he's had one of the best seasons of his career, and um, and they're in the, the 11th seed. So, um, yeah, a lot, a lot needs to happen, and uh, hopefully they make some changes here soon before the deadline. Last Swisher Dish on the Lakers, and we will move off the topic, Jamie. Swisher Dish, our next podcast, our next episode will be an emergency podcast that Darvin Ham has been fired. Um, oh boy, that's a nice. I like that one. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna swish it. Mike Swisher Dish, our next episode is an emergency podcast that Darvin Ham has been fired. This, this is good. This is a good question. I would have told you probably no, like we get a trade before then, but I think they might. I, th- I think they ride out the Darvin Ham thing at least to, uh, no, I was going to say at least to our all star break. I'll say it's dish just, uh, you know, I, I'm seeing a lot of Siakam uh, chatter, maybe Levine chatter. Uh, I think maybe we get a trade. Another trade. Ooh, that's interesting. I'll switch it. I just think that this is happening soon. I think the fact that it's leaking out to the media, things aren't changing anytime soon. It looks like right now for the Lakers, um, the disconnect is real. So I'll switch it for the moment. Talking about some trade chatter, Mike, We'll uh, before we move into our next topic here, let's talk about Pascal Siakam. There's a lot of news going on around him. Uh, big news from Shams yesterday saying that the Kings have pulled out of the Pascal Siakam stuff. Obviously, the situation is fluid. Um, things can come back in time. How good would Pascal Siakam be on the Kings, Mike? Well, yeah, I'd have to look at what they're, they're losing because I think they didn't they just put Harrison Barnes up uh Keegan yeah or I don't know about Keegan Murray but uh Kevin Herter and was yep. it Keegan Murray no it was, was Davion Mitchell Davion Mitchell um so uh, you know I don't know how influential Harrison Barnes and Davion Mitchell is to their success Kevin Herter I find to be a good player I think he hasn't had as good of a year as last year but um so like I said it depends who you give up I don't like the fit what was sorry, I I'm forgetting the question how Likely is it to happen? No. How, how would it? you feel about Pascal Siakam with the Kings? It, it doesn't move the needle a crazy amount for me for them. Um, no, no, I, I guess it does. But like, I, I'm not. If he goes there, I'm not immediately jumping on the ship as their like favorites in the West or anything. Um, there's other teams that I think if he went to that 
have a good chance of, of getting him, or at least as equal of a chance that I would say could become more of a, a threat for a, a conference championship or a finals run than the, hit the Kings get him. Obviously, they make him better, or he makes them better, but um, I don't immediately, like I said, don't immediately jump on them as being famous. Jamie, the Kings truther, Jamie. How, do you, how would you feel? You've obviously been high on the Kings. You picked them to win the in-season tournament, um, fell up, fell a little short as they lost in the knockout round to the Pelicans. How would you feel if they got past Kassiakam? Does that just make you feel even better about them as they do try to make that next step and win a playoff series and make a run to the NBA Finals? Um, no, not necessarily. I think he reminds me, I mean, his game's different than Sabonis, but they're you know, they're both undersized. I guess Siakam's not really undersized, but um, there's they need a big man, in my opinion. Now, would um, Siakam bring some offense and, um, you know, some defensive tenacity? Sure, but I don't think it moves the needle that much with uh, with adding him to that that team. Yeah, Mike, and you bring up a good point. It's it's funny how those three names come out on the, to the table when they are in the midst of talking about a Pascal Siakam trade. It feels like the trade would probably be those three guys plus um, first round draft capital, as we would expect. And I don't know, like I just don't know that Pascal Siakam's the guy that really brings you over the hump for this team. Now we have to understand like what is on the market. Is this the King's window? Yeah, it probably is the King's window. When you trade Tyrese Halliburton for DeMontis Sabonis, you're going for it right now. So if they're going for it right now and this is the best player for them on the market, um, then I guess you have to take a chance. But I, I'm with you guys. I don't think Pascal Siakam's really the guy that really puts this team over the hump. Does it make them a better basketball team? Yeah, sure. I, I can buy into that. This makes them a better basketball team. Um, but to what degree? And are we talking about just trying to win one playoff series? Again, I think matchup dependent. That could probably help them win a playoff series. But when we're talking about the the whole the grand scheme of things, we're talking about the whole pick the big picture. Does it get them over the hump in the West? The West is the West isn't as good as we thought in sense in terms of the teams being at the top and um, the Denver Nuggets are starting to figure it out, but all right, but the Lakers, the Suns, the Warriors are all kind of out of the picture um, as of right now. So where does this really bring the Kings? And maybe it is the time to make a move and take a swing for this, but ultimately putting your future in the hands of a guy who's already 30. um, I'm not saying he's played his best basketball, but I would, wouldn't be surprised if his best days were already kind of behind him. Um, and it would be just an interesting fit, but I'm with you guys. I don't think this necessarily puts them over the top. You said he's 30? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pascal Siakam's been in the league for a minute now. I would have thought he was like 35, man, to be completely honest. I feel like he's been around a long time. Um, Now, if you made this trade three, four years ago, um, my thoughts may be a little different, but it just seems like, like you said, his peak is behind him. Just to confirm, he will be 30 on April 2nd. So he's 29 wow. right now. We'll be 30 in April 2nd. So we're older than Siakam. That's just disgusting. All right. Continue. Yeah. Well, Mike. Oh, yeah. Mike's a little older, too. So he doesn't oh, yeah. get out of this. Wait, wait, wait. Siakam's 30? Not he's yet. He's 29, but he turns 30 on April 2nd. Oh, no. Yeah. got me. Got me. <laughs> Not by much, Michael. Not by much. Yeah. 
any final points here on Pascal Siakam? Is there like any other teams that come to mind that you're like, yeah, okay, like I really like this, or Warriors is it kind of just a wait a, and see? Warriors have been a name I think tosses, and I just saw the Warriors uh, are quote unquote dark horse is Zach Levine. Not really buying into that, but I've also seen Pascal Siakam attached to um, the Warriors again. How likely? How serious? I don't know, but is there is there a team that like is the immediate like he should go here this makes sense the fit the trade everything i don't have my eye on is miami i don't know that i like love it but miami just seems like they're ready to do something and that is something that's a that's a good move yeah especially when you miss out on dame yeah i don't know pascal siakam he's it's an interesting uh player to kind of build around or add um and i don't mean that negatively it's you know he's He's another one of those stretch fours in a sense that I don't know. I guess we're seeing more of across the league. So I think the the best spot for him to go, which probably isn't you know isn't possible, would be Minnesota, uh, a little cat and uh, Siakam mix. Um, but I, like I said, the Minnesota's number one in the West, so I don't think they would ever do that. I just think that that would make them that much better uh, having a you know. Another stretch four, but an athletic uh, guy that can guard multiple positions to help Gobert out. How likely and, is the Lakers deal? Like, because has his name been attached there too? Yeah, the Lakers have been attached. To, <laughs> yeah, name course, a guy. Right. The Lakers <laughs> are interested guy. in everyone right now. <laughs> yeah. Um. The, so, so yeah, I think the Towns thing is interesting, or the T Wolves thing is interesting, Jamie. I mean, I think there's a real potential three team trade. That sends Carl Anthony Towns to the Knicks. It sends Pascal Siakam to the T-Wolves and then a bunch of stuff to the Raptors. And I mean, obviously, I think I don't know where the T-Wolves, where they're at with trading Towns. Um, They're obviously the best team in the West as the record stands right now. Um, So are they willing to make a change like that? But I do think Pascal Siakam would fit much better next to Rudy Gobert and how good Rudy Gobert has been. I think it would be a more fluid fit. He's a better perimeter defender. Um, which I think could obviously benefit them in the long run. Maybe not as good of a shooter, but can still shoot it. Uh, I do like the fit of Pascal Siakam in Minnesota, but I think you're going to have to give up Carl Anthony Towns. And then how much do the T-Wolves need back to swap out Carl Anthony Towns and Pascal Siakam, I think is where it would get really tight. Let's move into the Detroit Pistons. Mike, you were not with us for the Halloween episode. Jamie and I did a little trick-or-treat. The Pistons started 2-1. and one. We were pretty excited about the Pistons. I still wasn't sold. Jamie was excited. Jamie was excited about the Pistons last year. Um, and then they go on a 28-game losing streak after making Monty Williams the second-highest paid coach in the NBA. After starting off 2-1, and one, felt like they had a way of winning basketball games. All of that went out the window. They lose 28 straight. They finally break the streak the, the, the day or the day after OG and Anobi gets traded from the Raptors, they beat Toronto, end the streak, almost beat the Warriors last night. Um, but the Detroit Pistons, Mike, I'll start here with you. What in the hell is going on in Detroit? Well, they're not – they have a bunch of young guys around them. They don't have a ton of – yes, Kate is a good player. I like Bogdanovich a lot. Uh, Jalen Dernan has really come into his own. So they have, like, some good young talent. I mean, when I say – uh, Cade will 
should be borderline all-star if he's not already. Um, I don't know where, like, the injuries and time missed, how much that will affect him, but he, I mean, he's definitely, I think, in the conversation. But outside of that, you know, I think they struggle to get some, to have some guys that are really going to win them some basketball games. Um, and I don't know. Um, Monty Williams, yeah, a great coach, but um, it's tough to coach when you don't have a lot of guys that can, I, I mean, just, Put it point blank, go out and win your basketball games. Now, twenty eight games in the NBA is is by far ridiculous. Like, you're there's still NBA players, there's still NBA talent. Uh, you got to get games somewhere. You, you got to figure something out. I don't really know the Detroit Pistons move right now. I think um, I, I I feel like I've heard different things, uh, and, and I not to make this keep bringing back Zach Levine, but I I. Early with the Zach Levine when he was out and, and the Bulls are cruising, um, people are saying that uh, the Pistons kind of make sense because it goes and gives them um, a little more scoring. They kind of get a star to go next to Cade. And um, I think it would be like they'd give up Ivy. Uh, I'm trying to think. Probably a big, I'm forgetting a name, but then like some picks or something. But um, maybe that's what they're waiting on. They they say that they're not willing to trade Bogdanovich. That to me would be your piece to trade, because um, you could probably get a, a decent little haul for him, especially now. Um, but I don't know what they're trying to do. Are they trying to do this through the draft? Are they trying to just collect picks, um, get pieces, and then make a big move? Because um, right now, if you go out, you make you go out and make a big move it's not like this team instantly becomes a playoff team clearly so they're they're a ways away obviously so um i'm just interested in kind of what the the thought is here um i think to start the season they may have had some sort of uh a plan i guess but then you lose 28 games and that all shifts so um like i said i like kate a lot that there is some some decent players there but I don't know, you know, I don't know if, uh, I don't know, they, even if you don't lose 28 games in a row, I I don't think this team was going to make a a ton of noise long run, so maybe they're just sitting on a big move, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, they were in, now, this is all reporting, we obviously know how messy that can get, Um, but the reports that they were in on OG and Obi, I thought were very interesting, it just didn't make sense on probably what the cost was going to be. Um, and honestly, it sound, it looked like the Raptors may not have been interested in the picks. We're going to get into that here in a moment. Um, but I just don't understand. Like, this feels like a team that's in the first year in its rebuild when it's like in its fourth or fifth year and nothing's really turning. And I think like when people are rushing to go rebuild, you have to understand like these are the things that can happen. Like if the pieces that you acquire don't fit, um, this is the way it goes. And I think like the thing I really want to see here and talk about is Cade Cunningham. It's just not as good as we thought it was going to be. And I think it's fair to say that he was taken number one overall in a pretty good draft class that included Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, and Scotty Barnes. Um, But he's just not as good as we thought he was going to be. And I think like he has these games where people um, will obviously turn their head, but he's doing them a in games that he's not winning and B he's doing it when he's turning the ball over four times to only seven assists per game. Now, obviously the players around him have part of part to do with that. And I think Cade has these moments where people can really buy in, 
I personally think that maybe they should maybe put his name on the trade market and try to like really overhaul this roster. This is where we're at five years in. Cade's been in the league. This is his second or this is his third year in the NBA now. And if this is where we are, I think there's got to be more real conversations about really turning over this roster more so than just trying to put pieces together to win games. Now, obviously, that's easier said than done when you're not the GM and you don't have a job on the line. Um, but when we're five years into a rebuild, we have to be looking in the mirror and having some serious conversations. Um, I do think Monty Williams is a good basketball coach. I just don't see in what way the pieces fit. They have no shooting on this roster. Um, Boyan's obviously was out, but now that he's back, um, Alec Burks has only played in 28 games so far. Those are kind of the only two shooters that they have. Um, Asar Thompson had like a really good start to the season. Now it's kind of starting to fade off a little bit. Um, Jaden Ivey is not taking the step that any of us believe that he potentially could coming off the bench in 15 of 31 games or sorry, 16 of 31 games. Um, there's just some real concerns about where this Detroit team is headed. And there's the identity was on the defensive end. Now this young team isn't locking in on that side of the floor. So now we have to have the real conversation. Is it really time for them to maybe think about really taking this to the next step and actually blowing this up and starting over yet again? I'll go to you, Jamie. What are your thoughts here on the Pistons? Uh, one positive. Um, besides Cade, um, yeah, I mean – his averages aren't bad. Um, the only bad thing about his averages you mentioned was the, you know, 3.9 turnovers per game. Um, when you're only averaging seven and a half assists, you can't have four turnovers per game. Um, but I would say the only good thing about that roster is they are very, very young. I think their average is about 22, 23 years old. So now it all depends on how much of this, uh, around the league talk about how terrible the Pistons are that they can take that the front office can take before they make moves. But if they just, I mean, moving Cade to me is crazy. I think that is the one, one guy on the team that is worth a damn really now. Um, I don't think you move him everybody else you can have. But to me, I've heard, uh, the last, what, three years now, Boyan Bogdanovich, um, you know, they're not trading them. They're not trading them. They're not trading them. I think that is probably, besides Cade, that's their best trade asset, and they just don't want to trade them. Um, and I, I don't know what the Pistons can do to revitalize this team. Um, but, I mean, at, at the end of the year, this might be the worst team of all time if we really sit down and uh, look at their record. Um, so I don't really have a lot of positives, obviously. Uh, you guys have talked about, um, you know, the Ivies and the Thompsons just not playing up to par, not doing enough. Um, I thought Jalen Duran would be better. Uh, granted, he's 20 years old, so there's a lot of growing to do. Uh, and a lot of, I mean, almost everybody on this team is young, so they do have a lot of growing to do, but it's just not looking good. Clearly. And I, I do like Jalen Duran. Jalen Duran's like the next piece in this part that I, he's the one guy that I have the most faith in 13 and 12 uh, per game, very efficient as a on offense, just kind of that big. The other issue here is the non-shooting bigs. Like they just have stacked all of these non-shooting bigs. Isaiah Stewart, he can shoot a little bit, but come on now. Jalen Duran, um, Marvin Bagley, James Wiseman, which they use Sadiq Bay to go out and get James Wiseman. James Wiseman is playing 14 minutes a night. Um, 
for no reason. So like they went out and they did that for no reason when they already had Dern and Stewart um, and Bagley, I believe. So like I just the roster construction has got to be a major concern. Obviously, the GM is going to be on the hot seat. Um, we'll see where this heads, but it's obviously not looking very good for them at this moment. And I'm not sure um, kind of where this turns for them. But I will ask you this, Jamie, before we move into the next topic. Um, Swisher Dish, the Detroit Pistons do not reach the 12 win mark and become the worst team of all time, currently sitting 3 and 32 through 35 games. Man. Um, so you're saying they won't or they will end up with less, less wins than 12? 11 or less, correct. Yeah. Um, I'm going to swish it, uh, especially because down the stretch, teams are fighting for playoff playoff implications, so it's only going to turn up. <laughs> it's not like, I'm going to swish it. It's, they're freaking terrible, man. Mike, swish or dish, this becomes the worst team of all time, not reaching 12 wins. I'll go dish. I think maybe maybe they get right at the 12 mark, maybe just a touch over. And I'll kind of go off of what Jamie said in the sense that I think the teams that need the wins obviously are going to go out there and, and you know have, have to play them and win against them. Then I think there's going to be a handful of teams down the stretch that are either um, tanking it, packing it in, or... Um, are resting guys on certain nights and maybe they pick up a few like sloppy wins here and there to, to get them over the hump. But um, I forget what their over under was to start the year, but yikes, a 28 game win streak could sail you under real fast. And now we're talking about an 11 and a half. I don't know. Yikes. You know, yeah, I was I, on the over too. <laughs> I think that? that number was actually 28 to 28 and a half was like the number that would come to mind. Were we all on the over? I feel like I was. No, I did I don't not know if I I I was. I, I really can't remember. I wouldn't be surprised if I stupidly said so. I like the Detroit. I, I I like the roster. Like I like I like the young talent. Um, young teams just don't win in the NBA. Go ask the San Antonio Spurs. They're two games better, and they have a a nineteen twenty year old phenom. So the young teams just don't win in the NBA, and that's just where it continues that lead. Let's next move into the big news of the holiday season in the NBA. The trade that finally happened, the OG Ananobi. Um, we heard this name come up the last couple of deadlines. The Raptors were not trading him. We're not trading him. We're not trading him. They hold on to him. He has a year left in his deal or like half a year left on his deal. Sorry. Finally gets traded to the New York Knicks. Um, the Knicks acquire OG Ananobi, Precious Achua, and Malachi Flynn. Um, and the Raptors receive R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, and the Pistons second-round pick this year, which obviously is looking like the number 33 or number 34 pick. Um, so obviously the Raptors felt like that's close enough to a first-round pick for them. And that brings us to the question, Jamie. I'll start here with you. Who wins this trade when we're talking about O.G. and Anobi to the Knicks and then R.J. and Emmanuel Quickly to the Raptors? I think the Knicks win it, man. Um, you know, on paper, you could say quickly in RJ. I mean, basically, this is what I did. I compared not nobody else but Ananobi. So it's basically Ananobi and quickly in RJ. And you'd say, oh, okay, I'd rather have RJ and quickly than Ananobi. But for this Knicks team, I think Ananobi 
just works, just fits in that system better. Um, we've seen it since he's got there. He hasn't played great, and the Knicks are still, you know, they seem to be playing more fluidly, in my opinion, and you saw it last night, especially um, just manhandling the Sixers team, which is has been balling. So um, I really think Ananobi fits with that Knicks squad, their mentality, um, defense first, uh, grind out games. I think he fits that game, fits that uh, that team, the the Tibbs model better than uh, than RJ and quickly. OG Ananobi is definitely a Thibodeau kind of player. Um, the one stat that I've noticed since um, those two guys have been traded, obviously last night was not the night for Julius Randle and not the way I want to bring this up. He was obviously one of 11. But the first two games, I think where this worked was Julius Randle had 39 and then 35. Like you're giving up a lot of scoring with Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett. You're giving up a lot of usage with those two players Um, for a guy where the usage rate's not going to be as much, right? Like the offensive game just has never developed to the level that I had hoped and many of others had hoped. Um, And that's obviously where I thought OG and OB was really going to excel is once the offense came around because of how good he is defensively. But the good thing is, is that if, um, Julius Randle can continue to play at this level in which I think it's always going to be a roller coaster with Julius Randle. And I think that's what scares me the most in this deal. But when he plays at this level, yes, I think it makes a ton of sense to bring in OG Ananobi. OG Ananobi is a guy who can guard almost any player in the league. And you're going to have confidence that he's going to be able to slow him down. Not, I mean, he's going to stop a lot of guys and then the superstars, he's going to be able to slow down. And I think that's the benefit of bringing him in. And Thibs likes to have those big wings who are able to do that. Um, but with that being said, I uh, I do have concerns about when Julius Randle isn't playing well, even though they beat the 76ers last night over a stretch of time. Are they able going to be able? To, are they going to be able to score enough points on a night-to-night basis to win games? And can OG and Obi take that step offensively? I don't think I can believe in that anymore. Um, but there's always still time for people to grow and develop. And if he can continue to do that, then obviously this is going to look really good for the Knicks. Mike, who wins this trade? Yeah, I'm going with the Knicks uh, for this one. They're they're a team that's been competitive even without OG. Um, And now that you add him, I do think I've talked to you know actually a few Knicks fans that are um, that I'm friends with, and they a lot of them are pretty hesitant with the move. But man, I think you give it time. we talk about the defense that's obviously going to be, uh, you know, OG's bread and butter. I think the offense does come. I think Jalen Brunson, uh, actually, in the last few games, his assists have been, I would say, like, I think he had a 13 assist game. Like, I, I think he does find spots to get OG open um, and, uh, you know, get get him the, the ball to score. They're 3-0 and with him. I'm not saying they wouldn't be 3-0 and without him in the last three games. But, I mean, to start with a new trade, 3-0 and is good. Um, and I think as OG maybe gets a little more comfortable in the system, maybe he looks to be a little more aggressive. Maybe uh, the Knicks kind of work a way to, you know, reel in Randall just a little bit to where we don't need him chucking X amount of shots and X amount of three pointers. Like go get us 20, like a solid 20 something uh, on like very efficient shooting while OG gets us 15 plus maybe. Um, of course, I think the real loss here obviously is IQ uh, is, is quickly. Um, yeah, I mean, he probably is going to uh, 
go to Toronto and have a, you know be very successful and, and kind of flourish. But I think this is a good stepping stone for the Knicks to now make potentially. I don't know if it'll happen this year. Of course, there's always going to be rumors and whispers, but um, I think this sets them up to make another large move to get another piece that I think New York and that organization and the team and, and whatnot are happy with what they have right now. And they're ready to make the next step to, you know, be like, let's, let's stop talking about maybe uh, we're fourth, fifth, sixth in the East. Let's start talking like, what's that top three spot looks like. Can we get to an Eastern conference and, and, you know, potentially further. I think they like Brunson a lot. I like Brunson a lot. I, I think you take, Randall for what he is, maybe store him in the back pocket as like, what can we get from him? What can we get for him if a trade comes about at some point? Um, but yeah, no, overall, I like the OG move. Um, you trade his offense out with RJ Barrett. RJ Barrett probably has a higher, um, could go out and potentially always get you more points, but could also get you way less points. Like his, he's more up and down uh, in, in his offense, whereas OG, I feel, is a little more consistent in the middle. Um, I, I guess I'll take the consistency. You know what you're getting most nights and then couple that with his defense. So um, I'll take that. And it makes more sense to me because New York is just the better team um, is more competitive in the Eastern conference right now and, uh, than Toronto. So uh, it makes more of a sense for that move for me right now. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Mike, you talk about wanting to be in the top three. Does this New York Knicks team feel like they could be a top three team now, or do you think that has to be propelled by the next move? No, 100% uh, propelled by the next move. I think too many people in the media, uh, I'm not going to speak for all Knicks fans, but I feel like a lot of Knicks fans and people who, I'm not going to say aren't seeing the bigger picture, but I think people are looking at this through the scope of this one move now makes uh the next contenders it does not it really does i don't i think it makes them a touch better i don't think it makes them astronomically better um this as i said it is a to me a a stepping stone like moves and counter moves i'm not saying the knicks are playing chess out here but they're kind of looking at like kind of where the dominoes ahead are falling like okay we got our, our wing defender a guy who you know we trust in very solid um defensively offensively you know he can still develop we know clips. We've seen clips of what he can do, and then we're going to go out and I think Carl Anthony Towns is a name that's been thrown out. I don't know if the Joel Embiid thing is is very realistic still. I don't know where. Um, you know, their other sites are on. Maybe, yeah, I don't know. Um, I I don't think they want to trade. Um, oh, I'm losing his name right now, Mitchell. Right. Mitchell Robinson, yeah. Mitchell Robinson, okay. I was losing part of that name. Um, I don't think they want to trade him, but uh, so yeah, I think too many people are looking at like, okay, they got OG now, they're contenders. No, they're not. This is just a, a piece to be a contender. They're looking for another one. Yeah, I'm going to uh, kind of talk on this real quick um, before we get back into the next stuff because I still have a couple more questions there, but I'm going to flip the page here. I think the Raptors actually win this deal. And like, if I'm making the bet on why the Raptors win this deal, I just think it's how good Emmanuel quickly is going to be. Um, obviously, I said it a little bit ago, but it comes off that they could they had the opportunity to land picks for OG and Anobi, and that's just not the way they wanted to go. And maybe that's because they know they have Pascal Siakam, and that's going to bring in the Hall of Picks that they want. Um, but they wanted obviously guys who are ready to play in the NBA today, guys who could help them right now. 
and obviously that are still young enough to develop and grow their games. I heard this somewhere and I can't remember where, so I apologize, but I do want to give credit. Um, one of the things that I heard is this RJ trade kind of feels like an Andrew Wiggins trade. When Andrew Wiggins was traded from the Minnesota Timberwolves to the Golden State Warriors, obviously we've heard how like disconnected he was, how he didn't really have the passion um, and stuff like that. And then he went to Golden State, which is a winning situation. And I obviously understand the difference between that. But his game entirely changed. He bought into the system. And I'm just wondering with RJ Barrett going back to where he grew up from in Toronto, Canada, um, is he able to re-identify his game? Is he able to take that step that I've always been wanting RJ Barrett to take? And to me, that's a bet that I still bet on. Like, I still bet on RJ Barrett. Like, is it clunky? Is it not good sometimes? Absolutely. Um, but he's one of those rangy wings who can get his own bucket, um, not the best three-point shooter, but can get his own shot. And when we're talking about playing with a guy like Scotty Barnes, um, who has shooting deficiencies and just kind of how that roster is constructed now, obviously, again, it's going to change with the Pascal Siakam trade that everyone thinks that's going to be happening here in the very near future. Um, then listen, I just think that I just think when you get guys like R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly who can get their own and give a team who's lacked offense over the last two or three years, um, these two guys, I think it could really be a nice ad for them. And I'm just going to bet on that Emmanuel Quickly is going to be a very, very good NBA player um, for the next, like, you know, six to eight years, maybe even longer, potentially. I'm going to bet on R.J. Barrett figuring it out. Um, and part of it is just because I've had such high hopes on OG Ananobi that if this is the only deal the Knicks made, I just don't know how much better it's actually making them knowing that Julius Randle has these serious playoff droughts. And if you're not getting offense from Julius Randle in the playoffs, you're not able to make another move. I just don't know how much different this team is than when it had RJ and Emmanuel quickly. It makes them better defensively. That's cool. But um, we know in the NBA that you're just going to have to be able to score 110 to 115, maybe even 120 um, in games that matter. And that's obviously a much different turn than what we're used to. Um, but that's just where we are in the NBA today. And I think when you give up those two guys, I think you lose the ability to do that. And I still think they were good defensively with those two guys, obviously, because of Tibbs. I do think Tibbs is going to get a lot of out of OG and Anobi. Um, the offensive concerns will just keep bringing me back. I'll go to here. I'll go to you, Jamie. Is Carl Anthony the Towns the guy to make the Knicks a championship contender with the roster that's already constructed? Now, when I say that, you obviously have to imagine that Julius Randle's probably in the trade, and then a bunch of draft capital. Yeah, I was just about to ask that. If if you switch if you switch out um, Julius Randle for Cat, obviously plus um, well Julius Randle and some some draft picks for Cat, I I think this is a top uh, two or three team in the East um, immediately, um, and that's not just because of um, the ability of Cat. It just he plays more within the offense than Julius Randle does. Um, yes, Julius Randle can go off and get you 30 and play really well through streaks, but, um, you know, Julius Randle plays as if he has um, he has a green light all the time, whether uh, he's playing well or not, and it hurts them more than it helps them. And I think if you switch out Cat, uh, it definitely makes the Knicks a better team. I don't think they're contenders, but um, just because I think Milwaukee and Boston are 
just much better than them, um, even with the deal done. But uh, that top three, top four spot, I think they they move into that um, right away. Mike, if the Knicks obviously swap out Julius Randle for Carl Anthony Towns and the picks obviously go with it, um, how do you feel about the Knicks? Is that the move they need to become the title contender that you kind of spoke about? This is <laughs> kind of a loaded question for me anyway. I've never been a huge Carl uh, Anthony Towns guy. Um, I guess, I mean, there is, I, I would say you do improve. I mean, um, I think Randall may be a little more solid defensively. I think you lose a little. I, I know Randall um, has a lot of outside shooting, kind of much like Cat, but I think Randall is also like, I can go put my head down just as Stephen A would say, left, like only go left, but put my shoulder down, head down, get to the rim a little more. I don't know how much Cat kind of has like to go uh, bang inside a bit. Um, so I, I don't know. You might get, you, I might call it a trade off, but I, if anything, I guess I would lean where it does improve them. I think the, I think it's an interesting fit. I actually think he fits really well with Mitchell Robinson. Obviously you have guys like OG and an OB, um, that will be able to help defensively. You already have Jalen Brunson. He's a, he's a strong defender. He's not like a plus defender, you know, he's short, um, but is very strong. So he does kind of hold his own, but, um, you know, I, it's an interesting move. It's like a move where, like, you feel like they're kind of buying an identity on defense. So if they go out and get Cat, um, again, who's had his own playoff struggles as well, uh, it's definitely an upgrade over Julius Randle. I just can't buy that that would make them a finals contender until I see that core play together and see Cat play well in the postseason, well enough to make me say, hey, this team is real. And I think maybe that comes in time. We'll see the rumors just stay swirling. Um, I think another winner in this is potentially my Cavs. Um, this kind of feels like it takes them out of the running for Donovan Mitchell. Um, so we can only hope that this stays true and holds to fruition. Um, because if Donovan Mitchell isn't getting the Knicks, then I'm not sure that he's going to take anything less than the Supermax. I, I don't understand why a player would ever not take a Supermax because you can easily just ask to be traded in today's NBA. So I do feel like that this will give the Cavs the opportunity to retain Donovan Mitchell for at least another year to give him the big Supermax and then kind of figure out where this core is headed. Um, so we're obviously excited about that as Cavs fans, but we will see. Time will tell. Um, they The Knicks are still star hunting, and they should be. And then the Raptors are tearing this thing down and trying to keep it competitive enough around Scotty Barnes to keep him happy um, while they're going to potentially use Pascal Siakam here for some pretty serious trade assets or some very serious draft compensa uh, compensation. Sorry. Um, and if that's the way they go, then I, I kind of like where this thing is headed in Toronto. I think it's smart not to just go all in on picks. Let's get some players that can play. Let's get some picks that we can add to the future and kind of start really putting this thing together. Um, let's move into, uh, one of the biggest storylines in the NBA that definitely had happened just right before Christmas. It was the return of superstar John ja Morant. We obviously know, um, of all the issues that he's had off the court, but fellas, since he's been on the court, 25 points a game, five and a half boards a game, eight assists. Grizzlies are five and three since his return after starting six and 19. I'll start here with you, Mike. How great has it been just to see John ja Morant back on the basketball floor? Yeah, well, we only have to worry about John ja Morant and basketball. I mean, what's, we 
we've said this all throughout kind of his suspension and everything going on last year is like he is just one of the most fun players to watch in the NBA. He's he's electric. He's it's fast paced. It's a lot of athleticism um, and, and a lot of skill uh, behind it. Um, I'm sure there's just a lot more energy in the locker room, in the stadium, uh, you know, on the floor with him, obviously. And the Grizzlies do look better with him out there. You know, that's not anything, uh, you know, that's not new news, so to speak. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's good for the league also to have him back. I, I hope that, um, you know, we don't have any sort of, not even like, you know, any putting guns on social media. Like, I'm not even saying that, but I hope there's not anything else that comes up to where, uh, you know, the league has to be have like a watchful eye on him or uh, he gets over scrutinized about things. But that's things about, but that's also where you put yourself when, um, you know, this behavior has been a pattern. You, you do get over scrutinized um, by the league and by uh, the media. So, uh, if it just stays basketball with John Morant, man, it, it's good. Um, I'm not sure where the Grizzlies kind of can go with this season now after such a, a very slow start without him. Um, but he's also needs to, he also needs to be held accountable. Where you kind of put you you are um, essentially the reason why a, the slow start has happened. Um, you know they have, obviously have to go on and play without you, but not having you available. Her, clearly has hurt them so uh, i'm excited to see kind of the bounce back here where they can end at the end of the season um and you know maybe they go on a on a tear and and make a real run to uh to be significant here down the stretch uh towards the playoffs yeah i mean john morant's a superstar on the floor there's no denying that and i think it goes forgotten about at times when you know, you don't see him for a period of time. We didn't see him kind of at the end of last year. We didn't see him early this year. And then he comes back and he just has some superstar performances, game winner in his first game back, I believe. Um, that's the John Morant that we all know, that we all love to watch play basketball. We just hope that this experience has helped him uh, learn in life the decisions that he makes impacts him gratefully. And we hope that he can maintain staying on the basketball floor. And we just hope that he has learned from these experiences. Jamie, your thoughts on John Morant returning? Yeah, I mean, instant <laughs> instant showtime, right? Uh, first game back, hits the game winner. Um, you know, first four games, they're 4-0. and uh, They are 5-3, and you know, since he's been back. Um, like Mike said, I don't think there's anybody, um, I mean, maybe one or two guys, but he's up and he's, he's at least top five, most exciting, um, players in the NBA to watch. Um, and you know, when he's out there, uh, it doesn't really, they're a completely different team. And we've seen that, um, they've been competitive in just about every game. I think they got blown out by Denver, but that's Denver. Um, yeah, I mean, you guys hit it on the head. Um, when he's on the floor, uh, he's he's filthy. He's phenomenal. Uh, hopefully, that off the sto- off the court um, stuff uh, really stops, and he learned from it. Um, we can only hope because when he's out there, the NBA is a better better league. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely way more exciting with John Morant, and we can only hope that he stays here. I think this year might be a little bit of a lost cause, but with that being said, the bottom that 
10, the nine spot and the 10 spots, a little bit of a jump, but I think like if you can somehow get back into the conversation, in the 10 spot, that is a win. Um, but starting six and 19 is just a little too slow. Let's talk about one last thing that I, that we forgot about. I knew we forgot about something. Um, let's get into the Draymond green suspension. Obviously he turns around and, uh, hits yo or not yo, um, Nurkic, um, during the game against the Suns, that led into an indefinite suspension. The reports are coming out that he is returning to team activities. It's been 12 games since, or I believe, or 11 games since he's played. It's looking like this thing's going to be about a 13 or 14 game suspension after he put Rudy Gobert in the chokehold, after he turns around and punches um, Nurkic. Jamie, 13, 14 games long enough for the stuff that Draymond has been doing and again it's not just now you know like this is this is part of his past he's had to go through counseling is this enough for Draymond Green for you to say okay he's good to come back I mean no they (laughs) this is the same old same old shit with Draymond I think I think he should have been um suspended you know at least a couple months um just because the incidences were starting to become um, even more obvious than the stepping on and the kicking in the nuts. Like now he's flailing and, you know, trying to say what he wants. It looked like he was uh, inadvertently air quotes, trying to knock Nurkic out um, just by, you know, having Nurkic's, hand on his hip i just it it still baffles me to even think about but uh yeah i don't i don't think draymond's gonna learn you know from anything he's been playing uh the same way his whole career now it's just uh obviously amplified and the incidences just keep getting worse and worse it seems so uh, who knows uh he's a smart guy off the court and on the court obviously so maybe Maybe he just realizes, hey, I got to stay on the court as much as possible. So, you know, this is probably our last run as as a unit, um, big three, so to speak. So, hopefully, he learns from it. But no, I don't. I didn't think those that that amount of games was enough. Yeah, I think instantly, I thought. I honestly didn't think they would do it indefinitely. Um, I thought like it was going to only be 10 games. It just feels like the way that they have let him go, they haven't really gave him a serious suspension for this yet. I think he got five games after choking out Rudy Gobert, which again, I thought was 10. So that's why I felt like maybe this would be more of 10. They go indefinitely and it gave me hope that maybe we'd see like a 20 game suspension. Um, But I think where the Warriors are, they kind of need him to get back on the floor. And I think that plays a part of that. And I think that's uh, where we're really missing what is going on here with Draymond Green. Mike, your thoughts on the Draymond Green indefinite suspension looking like it's going to be about 13 to 14 games. I don't really even know what to make of it because I this, he could be suspended a whole season. He could be suspended, uh, suspended one game. Um, and this is I'm not really trying to you know come at his character or anything here, but I, I just think that it's just kind of who Draymond is on the basketball court. Maybe the counseling can happen, but I mean, I feel like... It, is this counseling targeted towards him as a person, his personal life and kind of the stresses or, or whatever may be going on in his life? Or is it targeted towards like basketball? Cause I, I don't know how much, uh, you know, is going on outside basketball in his life clearly, but it's something about when he gets in some of these games and in certain moments, he something just switches and he, um, 
you know, he does um, snaps, you know, snaps and <laughs> participates in like this behavior. That's like, it's one thing if you want to get a little, uh, you know, throw some elbows here and there, so to speak, get a little rough. Um, but there's actions being had that are just downright like, man, like that's, this is not even remotely a basketball thing. Um, so I don't know, 13 or 14 games. Um, if you tell me that's where it's at and that's what he serves and he comes back and come, comes back and plays, then it, it is what it is. I'm not really even going to like sweat it too much. It's just how does the NBA look now? If this happens again, yes, we hold Draymond accountable. Yes, this is his fault. But now you guys are looking like these little slaps on the wrist or even, uh, you know, this is a, a step past the slap on the wrist, obviously. But if this behavior continues, who's going to say who Adam Silver, but who's going to man up and, and say like, uh, all right, like, sorry, you're done or, or um, maybe not done, but a uh, year suspension or like where, who's going to really crack down on stuff. I know that I don't think that's Adam Silver's uh, memo. Um, same thing with John Moran. Like, I don't think he's into like giving well-known players uh, heavy disciplinary action, but to me, like you can't just keep having the same, like what the definition of insanity keep doing the same behavior while expecting different results like that. That's kind of what the NBA may be doing here at the Draymond Green situation. If nothing changes, I hope he comes back. Um, I'm sure that he'll get a technical here and there. It's basketball. It's the NBA. Obviously that has to happen. He's another guy that's going to be heavily, heavily scrutinized every time something in this realm, albeit maybe not a, a you know, an elbow to the face or a kick to the nuts. If it's not that exactly, even if it's in that area of, of behavior, it gets over scrutinized. So he's, he's done it to himself. Um, but I think this does have the potential to another thing like this happens. It, it not only does it look terrible on Draymond, the Warriors, I think it looks bad on the NBA as well. Yeah, it's it is. I mean, the NBA, I felt like we, I felt like they've messed they've missed on these suspensions. They've missed and they've missed and they missed and they miss again here. Um, I don't think it was intended to be a miss. I think the indefinite thing was right. Um, I think we're rushing it. But again, I think that ultimately it's kind of the Warriors decision. They're kind of putting him through what he needs to get through and, you know whatever, just to clear the guidelines of the suspension that needed to be cleared. Those are done. I, I do think this is a miss, though. And how long can you let a guy keep having these actions and not thinking that there's more happening outside of the game of basketball, maybe more so in his personal life? Um, because these things just don't continue to happen. And it all started last year when he punched Jordan Poole in practice. Um, I mean, it's not when it started, but like that's when like this streak has really started because then we can highlight back to last year when he stepped on DeMontis Sabonis right on the chest, and then it led into a chokehold this year against Rudy Gobert, and then it turned into a punch on um, Nurkic. And something is just not going on um, right for Draymond Green. And I think instead of rushing to get him back on the floor, maybe we need to take more time to figure out what that disconnect is so that way we can prevent this from continuing um, to happen. And the last thing I'll say about it, you know, Adam Silver has done a phenomenal job as a commissioner, but when this is the downfall of being such a player's commissioner that you don't hold your players accountable. This is like the complete opposite of David Stern. David Stern would have, you know, immediately suspended Jaw for more games, um, you know, instead of letting the team handle it. Now he's letting the Warriors handle it. Um, so we'll see. Um 
I really hope that uh, these guys, you know, Ja and Draymond, you know, quote unquote, smarten up and realize, you know, what they have in front of them because they're really good basketball players. And like I said before, the league is better when they're when they're playing. Yes, for sure. Last thing before we wrap up, fellas, let's just talk about some of the stuff that's kind of been going on in the league. Big, big performances. Obviously, we know that Luka Doncic has been doing this since this entire season, but more so late than uh, more so lately than anything. Um, just been absolutely incredible, posting up these unreal numbers. It's not really helping the Mavs win. They've kind of cooled down since early in the year. Um, Kyrie has been out. He's been incredible. Um, Joel Embiid averaging just under 40 and I think like 10 or 11 per game for the Philadelphia 76ers um, back to being the favorite to win MVP to go back to back again uh, or well to be the third straight player to go back to back in the MVP uh, race here would be incredible. He's been a superstar stud. No, not enough words to explain how good Joel Embiid has been. Um, we can talk about the stretch that Nikola Jokic has had. He had a triple-double where he didn't miss a shot, which he's the only player to have done it, and he's done it a couple of times in his career now. He's also played in his last, just before last night, four games where he'd only missed five shots. Um, and how he has re-propelled the Nuggets back up into the top of the West. I think they're only a game or two out of the one seed. Um, after a little bit of a skittish start, obviously Jamal Murray was hurt. We can get into that, but Nikola Jokic has been incredible. And then the Tyrese Halliburton back-to-back 20, 2020 performances, which 20 points, 20 assists, one of those being no turnovers, the other one being two turnovers, 84 assists to six turnovers in his last five games. Um, Jamie, which one of those are like just the most impressive to you? Oh, that's a tough-ass question. Um, man, Jokic's performances. I feel like it should be Jokic, but just the fact that he's been doing this for, I don't know, three, four years now, it's kind of watered down a little bit. Um, kind of like the LeBron thing year after year, not winning the MVP. At some point, you're just like, oh, okay, that's just LeBron. Um, we're at that point with Jokic now. Um, and Bede for me, I mean, averaging 40 and 10 in the month of December, it's just... There's nothing, and there's nothing you can really do about it because he's just so much bigger, so much better um, than every other guy that he'll he'll really go against uh, besides Jokic. Um, I think even I don't know the numbers and if they've played this year, I'd have to do my homework on this. But um, even playing a guy like Rudy Gobert, who's um, a great defender in this era, I don't think he could you know hold a candle to Embiid in the post. Um, and it's not just like Embiid is in the post every play. He's hitting jumpers. He's getting to the line 10-plus times, shooting 90% from free-throw line. Uh, Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey have, have this Philly team really rolling, and um, I think if they add one piece as well, then uh, they're going to be up there with the Celtics as uh, favorites. I'm glad you mentioned the 76ers adding one piece because if they add Deontay Murray, um, poof, 
I think that's the piece for them. I think Deontay Murray to the 76ers has the potential to change the landscape in the East to where we currently are with the Celtics just being so much better and so much more dominant. I think if we're giving Deontay Murray next to Tyrese Maxey to go with all the forwards that they kind of can put together and play together um, to go with Joel Embiid, I think that is a very, very scary thing depending on what they have to give up. Um, Mike, which one of those performances kind of just kind of like stick out to you? Say it again, though. Sorry, which which ones? Just like the Luca Luca's run here lately. Um, I I don't know his numbers off the top of my head, but Luca's been incredible. Joel yeah. Embiid's forty and ten month. Jokic four miss shot or five miss shots in four games, including a triple double where he doesn't miss a shot. And then the Tyrese Halliburton back to back 20 games in which he only had two turnovers in those two games, including one game without, as well as eighty four assists to six turnovers in his last five games. Uh, man, you. Um, I think the Jokic missing only four or five shots is is truly insane. Then I would say, I mean, Halliburton's the assist to turnover ratio is disgustingly good. Um, the twenty twenty games you said, I think the forty and ten month is is pretty insane for Embiid. I, I just think weirdly in this grouping of people that uh. Um, that may be more likely for for that to happen rather than the other runs uh, to these other people. Luca is going to do what Luca does. I feel. Um, also, like maybe not to the degree of these other players, but SGA has been on an absolute tear as well. Um, don't have those numbers directly in front of me, but um, dude's just been hooping out um, to the point of where like I I like I don't know if people are talking enough about him as an MVP candidate. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I might lean the point guard in me wants to lean uh Halliburton, but the to me just Jokic missing four or five shots is is I don't know. That 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 to me is just uh mind blowing. Yeah. The, sorry, what did you say? I was looking at something. I was trying to pull up the SGA numbers as well. I was trying I'd to probably do. lean I'd probably lean Jokic. Um just because yeah. he had, I mean, he's just such a pivotal part of, of that uh, offense and, and just only missing four or five shots over that span is, is to me, is just nuts. But uh, to me, it's, it's kind of like a pick your poison if it's him or Halliburton as far as that scenario. Um, I'll lean Jokic, but Halliburton's numbers, I, I, I think, with the lack of turnovers and that many assists, is I don't know if you see that again. Yeah, I um the Jokic stuff's funny too because it was kind of coming it came at a time in which people are like, you know, the shooting numbers are down and this this and this and then all of a sudden he flips that switch and uh just shows who he can be, how dominant he is. Um just not leaving any doubt that he is the best player in the world and still don't think it's as unanimous as it should be, but I don't know how much more this guy has to do to deserve that respect. I do lean the Tyrese Halliburton stuff. It's just insane, man. Like I just, when you have a pass first point guard who is this good, um, I, I've kind of already said it. Like he doesn't necessarily have the best talent around him, and for him to still be able to do this with what he has is just incredible to me. And I think, you know, we thought the um, Lakers could kind of figure something out with him, where you just trapped everything. They've obviously made the adjustment. They've obviously had a little bit of a slow. Uh, start after the in-season tournament, but what he's been able to do here in these last five, six, seven games, um, 
have been truly incredible. And it just shows that this guy is going to be a problem for a very long time. And I think it's easy to say that this is the best pass first point guard in the NBA. Yes, he does have the ability to score. Um, but his best ability is obviously as a passer and his ability not to turn over the basketball. And when you're able to do those two things, um, obviously, I think it just makes the sky the limit for how good you are. Um, he's not really being talked about as the most improved player. And everyone will say he was an all-star last year. And I understand, like, I've had these conversations with a lot of different groups and a lot of people don't like it. And I understand that. But we also have to understand the year John Morant won most improved was the step from being an all-star to a superstar. And that's the same step that we're watching Tyrese Halliburton make. So I think that's going to be something that could definitely grow here um, as a scenario if Tyrese Maxey um, doesn't continue to excel at the level that he does. Obviously, he is the clear favorite right now. Um, but I think Tyrese Halliburton deserves to have a seat at that table um, when the time comes. Alrighty, fellas, it's been good catching up. It's been a little bit longer than we kind of hoped. Um, there was so much to catch up on. Uh, does anyone have anything else they want to bring to the table before we sign off here? Um, yeah, I got, I got one negative stat and I, I saw this recently. It just made me chuckle. Um, so there has been 500. Okay. So Jordan Poole has the least plus minus in the whole entire league with negative 342. And I just, that was baffling to me, and I just had to share because I was as soon as I saw it, I think it was like Hoops Nation or something on Instagram. I just as soon as I saw it, I was just dying because that boy just fell off the map. How about a most improved player ticket from me for him? Talk about a cold take. <laughs> yeah, that that might Freezing. be worse. I don't know. Is that worse than the Steve Nash coach of the year? It's... I still don't think it is. At least Jordan Poole is still playing. Nash got got removed from the situation. Nash went back to freaking Canada, man. He's just chilling by that. That is a terrible. Yeah, I'm way out on that one. That's on me. I mean, I thought the usage made sense. Um, I've said this multiple times. Like the worst team to sit down and watch to me is the Washington Wizards. I will watch (laughs) the Detroit Pistons before I watch the Washington Wizards. The brand of basketball that they play is the absolute worst that I've ever seen in free Tyus Jones because he does not deserve any of this. Like, this guy wants to – he's a great system point guard. Um, he wants to be in guys where the ball moves. And when you play with Kyle Kuzma and Jordan Poole, it's just got to be the most deflating thing to ever be a part of. And Jordan Poole's the worst. Like, I just – he's the worst guy for me to sit down and watch play. And, like, I say that respectfully, but I've watched well, the Cavs play the Wizards the last two nights, and, man, I like, I cannot stand watching the Wizards play basketball. The stats would say that you are correct. He is officially the worst player in the league. <laughs> he, just he's on the he just can't do anything <laughs> but score, and, like, that is not even looking good. Last time I looked, he was averaging 17 points a game on 40% from the field and 31% from three. So if we're not even getting the scoring out of Jordan Poole, what in the hell are we getting out of Jordan Poole? And I think the Wizards are sitting back asking themselves just that at this moment. You could fall fall in the pool and not hit water. Yeah, we we went from pool parties to drought parties. So. Sahara, yeah. yeah. No, uh, no baddies in D.C., I guess, huh? No, no, <laughs> not, no. Not like the Bay. He's gonna, he's gonna, they're gonna move out of Washington D.C. It's so bad. To Virginia, the Wizards go. Um, 
All righty, Jamie, get us started as we get on out of here. Yes, sir. Uh, like we said, been about a month. Uh, we are back. Hopefully, we'll be a little more consistent here. Hopefully, the platform issues um, don't keep happening and uh, we can start getting a rhythm again. Um, but yeah, man, the Lakers are a shit show. Um, Bulls and Cavs look like they're getting a little better, but uh, here I am just miserable watching the Lakers play night in and night out. But uh, yeah, we uh, we'll see you next time. Mike? Yeah, Jamie, at least your team has already uh, hung a banner this year, so props to them. Um, the, yeah, hopefully we don't have to uh, go um, on another little uh, spree of some time away with the platform issues, but um, it's been good to get back on the mic again with you guys. Um, hopefully we can be a little more consistent with it now uh, if we got everything figured out and yeah, we're kind of on the stretch of the All-Star break, so uh, it's good kind of covering that. And, and the All-Star weekend is, is fun to talk about as well. So, um, yeah, till we talk next time, see you guys later. Yeah, appreciate you, Mike and Jamie. Obviously, the time off has been a little refreshing, able to get ourselves back together. Obviously, a little frustrating as well as we have tried to record and things have not been able to post for whatever reason. Obviously, we hope that we have figured that out. We were about to find out here soon. Um, but thank you guys. Thank you for our listeners, our supporters. You guys have been reaching out, making sure that we're coming back. The plan was always stay together. Um, unfortunately, platform issues, timing issues, me going to New York kind of put us off about a month and it was kind of the first month that we've had off since we started recording. So again, I think at times it is a little refreshing, but also a little frustrating. Um, the NBA, I mean, what a time to pick it back up. We're moving into almost the halfway point of the season. We're moving into the trade deadline stuff. Rumors are really going to be swirling. That's going to be something that we're going to be talking about here weekly. We have the all-star stuff coming up. We have the best time of the year for the NBA, in my opinion, coming up again, the trade deadline, the all-star stuff, two great weeks in the NBA. There's going to be a bunch of stuff happening. Can't wait to be here uh, to cover it for you guys. Until then, peace out. Thank you for listening to the Nothing But Net NBA podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Nothing But Net.